You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Episode 136 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band The Frickashinas. The longtime veterans of Denver, Colorado's thriving alternative punk scene, the Frickashinas, have just released their first video and single, You Seem Fine. Look for a second single and more videos coming in early 2021. For more information on the Frickashinas, you can find them on all of the streaming platforms as well as Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at the Frickashinas. That is F R I C K A. S-H-I-N-A-S. Now here it is, their new single, You Seem Fine. Face it, you bought into it! Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show.
Hey guys, what is happening? This is Chuck from the Mad Caddies, and you're listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed tomorrow. Hey everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. Ladies and gentlemen, it is officially Christmas Eve. Yes, the night before Christmas. It's 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 a fun time. It's in my family, it's kind of the holiday. Christmas we just hang out and eat stuff, but on uh on Christmas Eve we do all the presents and we we do all kinds of stuff. Uh and I, I'm hoping that you guys are all having a great holiday. I know I'm having a great holiday already. Uh, we're heading over to my parents' house tomorrow to celebrate a very small, intimate get-together. Normally, there's like 90 people in my big Irish Catholic family, but of course, this year is different. The one thing that is really cool this year is that my kids are finally old enough to kind of understand uh, what is going on with Christmas, and they can't they can't stop talking about Santa. He's dropping off their presents. They were my my son Silas didn't understand we don't have a chimney so he didn't know how he was going to get into the house, but uh, we gave my son an early present today. He got a BTS shirt. His favorite two musical artists are Metallica and BTS, and uh, I have to say I actually kind of dig BTS. There's some pretty talented dudes, man. It's uh it's not my normal cup of tea, but I enjoy it. I quite enjoy it. I'm just happy that both of my kids love music so much. They're always singing and dancing. And uh, if it's BTS, it's it's BTS, man. That's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. So uh, on behalf of everyone in the Swinney household, my daughter, Indy, my son, Silas, my wife, Felicia, my cat, Darby, and myself, we would like to wish you a very wonderful holiday season no matter which holiday you celebrate, love and uh, good vibes and good thoughts coming out from the Swinney household. And I hope that you guys have a wonderful holiday season. So today on the program, my quest to have someone from every Fat Records band ever inches one step closer. I got to chat with Mr. Chuck Robertson, vocalist and songwriter extraordinaire from the excellent band Mad Caddies. I used to say I used to say the Mad Caddies, but everywhere online it just says Mad Caddies, so I'm gonna, I'm just going to go with that. I was really really stoked to have Chuck on the show, as I've always been a big fan of Mad Caddies, and I just I love punk rock. I love aggressive music, metal, you know, hardcore, but I have a soft spot for ska and reggae. I've been a huge Bob Marley fan my whole life, and you know I lived in Jamaica for a while, which we talk about a little bit on today's episode. But yeah, ska and reggae has been a big part of my life as well, and uh, the Mad Caddies 
They will satisfy your ska and reggae urges. Uh, they have a new EP out on Fat Wreck called House on Fire. It came out in October. Uh, we talk about the writing and recording of the new EP. We talk about uh, their punk rock covers album, Punk Rock Steady. We talk about the band's relationship with Fat Mike and what it is like to be the proverbial black sheep of Fat Records. Uh, when Jason Hall from Western Addiction was on, we talked about that. They feel like they're the black sheep. But uh, Chuck said they kind of feel the same way. So we talk about so much cool stuff. You guys are really going to like this. I had a blast speaking with Chuck and getting to know his story. And uh, you're going to love it. So before I get to my conversation with Chuck, I've got to pay some bills. The band that sponsored this episode, I love them. They are called the Frickashinas. You can check them out on all of the socials at the Frickashinas. It is spelled F-R-I-C-K-A-S-H-I-N-A-S. They just released a new video to coincide with their new single, You Seem Fine, that you heard at the beginning of the episode. You can check it out on YouTube. Just search for The Frickashinas. Thank you guys so much for sponsoring. Hope to have you back real soon. Next up, we've got PartsCasterConcierge.com. My buddy Gary builds guitars, and he's damn good at it. If you guys want some cool boutique custom work done, guitars, pedals, whatever, hit him up. PartsCasterConcierge.com. The next sponsor we have is Spam.Rocks. That is S-B-A-M dot rocks. Spam, not spam, spam with a B. They did the artwork for the show. They did the artwork for my new music project, Fire Sale. They're awesome. They've got a music festival. They've got a record label. Everything over there, you got to check it out. S-B-A-M dot rocks. Next on the list, Permanence Tattoo Gallery. My buddy Jacob Harrison, past guest of the show and current tattoo artist of my body. <laughs> he owns Permanence Tattoo Gallery. It's over in Anderson, Indiana, downtown on Meridian Street. You can check them out on all of the socials at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. I'm heading over there on New Year's Eve to uh to get some new ink i can't wait it's gonna be awesome and last but not least our friends over at betterhelp.com if you guys are having any kind of anxiety or stress or just you know if, if, you're, if your mental health is not where it needs to be therapy is a good option you know counseling is a great option right now we can't do a lot because everybody's stuck inside because of the pandemic but Betterhelp.com is amazing. It's online. It's remote. You get the app. You can do it from your phone, your iPad, whatever. You've got to check it out. And just by listening to this podcast, you can get 10% off your first month. So head on over to betterhelp, that is H E L P.com forward slash T O T O T. It's awesome. You got to check it out. Live a better life with BetterHelp. If you guys have a band or a company and you would like to sponsor an episode, you can hit me up. It is super easy to get in touch. TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or at TOTOTpodcast on all of the socials. We also have a Patreon with some bonus content. You can head on over there. That is patreon.com forward slash TOTOTpodcast. If you'd like to make a one-time donation, 
You can hit up my personal Venmo that is at Christopher Swinney, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R-S-W-I-N-N-E-Y. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. It's super easy, and it really helps out the show. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to our art director, Sarah, over at Road Dog Supply. And I want to let you guys know that we are running a deal right now. Uh until midnight on Christmas Day, you can buy any shirt in the merch store and you get a free sticker pack. Pretty awesome. So check that out. You can find all the information over at tototpodcast.com. And while you are there, sign up for the mailing list so you can know what's going on. Because soon we're going to be doing this awesome contest to get a big grab bag from Fat Records. So you have to check that out. So tototpodcast.com. Sign up for the mailing list and buy some merch and get some free stuff. It's awesome. Okay, so... We don't have a segment today, really. Uh, I didn't prepare. I've been very busy. My in-laws were in town for a while. And uh, all I really want to do is give you guys a little bit of news with me. So if you follow me or the podcast or anything on any of the socials, you know that I've got some new music that I've been working on. I have a new music project. Uh, I don't, I'll call it a band. <laughs> it's a new band. It's called Fire Sale, and uh, it's uh, me and some friends. It's Matt Riddle, who played in No Use for a Name, Face to Face, and Pulley. Tim MacMiller from Protest the Hero. Tucker Rule from Thursday. And my friend Pedro Aida from Amberetta and Fun Size. And he's also in a really good band called Shot Clock. They're from Richmond, Virginia. But um, it's really cool. I, I wrote some songs, and I got some friends to play on them and sing them. And the response has been really cool. I've, I've sent the, the rough mixes to quite a few friends in the, you know, I guess quote unquote industry. I don't like using that term. It sounds real douchey, but, uh, I could be more excited. People are really, really liking the stuff. And I mean, just the fact that I'm, I write a song and then I hand it over to Matt Riddle, who is one of my favorite bass players of all time. And, and he, it was funny. I'll tell you right now, and I don't, Matt, if you're listening, this is, it's an awesome thing, man. But uh, when I sent Matt one of the songs, he said, so what do you, what do you want it to sound like? And I said, I want signature Matt Riddle. <laughs> and when he sent it back, that's what it was. So I'm, I'm super stoked on this new music stuff and we're working really, really hard. I don't just want it to sound like a demo. Like we are putting something together that's gonna, it's gonna stand up to a lot of stuff as far as its production work and whatnot. It's just really really good and to have the help you know writing and just producing stuff like this the help of so many people that I just respect and I think are just amazing musicians and songwriters it's really cool and uh, it kind of all happened because of this podcast so that's one more reason why I love this podcast so much but uh I would like you guys to follow at fire sale is a band on all of the socials so you can stay up to date with everything that's going on with us. We should have some new music out sometime in early 2021, but uh, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm very, very excited. I'm very, very happy with how things are going with the band and yeah, just check it out. Just follow us at fire sale is a band on all of the socials, but that is it for the intro. I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to give you what you came for. This is my conversation with Mr. Chuck Robertson from Mad Caddies. Here we go. 
And I'm on the line with Chuck from the Mad Caddies. Chuck, how you doing today, man? How are you doing, my friend? I'm I'm doing great, man. It's uh it's nice to talk to you. Vanessa got a hold of me and said that you'd like to come on the show, and I'm I'm excited to speak with you today, man. I've been a big fan for a long time. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah, happy to be here. So, you know, the way that I start out most of these podcasts is I kind of ask how the virus has been affecting you. Uh, I know you're out in California. I know it's probably affected the the band. Can you kind of take us down that road of what it's actually meant to you as a member of the Mad Caddies and then you in general? Yeah. Um, well, it's bittersweet here. I'm, I live in a, and the band is from a small community here in the central coast of California, um, San Inez Valley. And I'm in a little town where I grew up called Los Olivos. And it's a small village of like, you know, 1,000, 1,500 people. But it also happens to be wine um, country, wine tasting mecca. And half the state shows up here on the weekends to drink wine in our little village. There's 50 tasting rooms in like two square blocks. It's insane. And so that all got shut down uh, when COVID hit back in March. Um, and uh, yeah, our, we were just about to leave on our 25th anniversary tour for the year. And, you know, we had like 100 gigs booked all around the world and uh, obviously all canceled. And that was really sad. And, you know, bummed out for a long time. But at the same time, and I've said before, every time I would get bummed, I'd just think about all my other friends and colleagues around the world that can't play either. So when you're going through something, it's nice to know you're not alone. And um, and that was kind of the, the crummy side. And so, But the good side is because we live in a rural community in a small town that it was actually kind of special the first month or two of the, the lockdown. We had the whole town to ourselves, you know, and I'm riding my buddy's little 50cc motorcycle just through the streets, you know, open container, like nothing. I mean, just every, there was just no rules. And so we kind of, and the only place we could all congregate is outside this little store that I've been coming to since I was, you know, three years old, um, where you can legally drink beer and wine on the patio. And we all socially distance and just sit outside. <laughs> and we've been doing that since March. Um, so we've still had a, I've been lucky enough to still have a sense of community here. Um, and get to socialize safely with people. And then uh, luckily right across from the store is the family compound where the recording studio is. And I've been just working on a solo record all the time, kind of finishing that up right now. So that's been my pandemic. Has this been the first time for a while that you've been home this long? Like, I know you guys tour quite a bit and a lot of the bands on fat, that's kind of like, that's their job. They tour all the time. So how has it been kind of being home more than maybe normal? Yeah, this is, this is the longest I've ever been home in my adult life. Um, because not only did the pandemic kick in in March, but we hadn't toured since May of the last year because we finished our record cycle for the, um, the reggae album. Um, back in, in May. And so we had that whole last summer off and the fall off. And we, I was really, that was already a long time. So I was itching to get back on the road. <laughs> so yeah, basically when, I mean, when the hope with cautious optimism, you know, we'll be playing regular shows next summer, it will have been two years for me almost. So that's crazy, man. Are you, are you a dad? I think I, I follow you on Instagram. Do you have some kids? Yeah, I've got a son, Charlie. Yeah, he's almost six. He lives up in Lake Tahoe with his mom. I'm going up there next week to grab and bring him down for Thanksgiving. I kind of go back and forth. 
between Tahoe and, and down here. So. Has that been weird at all with, uh, you know, when the pandemic was, I mean, I know we've, we have cases again, pretty crazy, but when it first started, you know, you weren't supposed to go to other people's houses. Like, was there a time when you weren't able to see him? Uh, for not really. I mean, just because it, at least in California, it was interesting. Um, it was said early, early on, cause this is what, you know, parents that are separated have to deal with this stuff. And it was said early on that, um, all parents have get to exercise their custody rights, no matter what, that the kids have to go back and forth. So oh, that's I mean, good. yeah, so that, that's, that's good. And you know, it, the way it's affecting kids, it's, it's interesting. You know, my son, he's just like, Oh, they closed this because of stupid COVID, you know, <laughs> no more Chuck E. Cheese, no more playgrounds, you know, but he's adjusted fine. He gets to play with his kids in the neighborhood and he's back in kindergarten like a couple days a week now. So that's good. That's cool, man. Well, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the show, a couple of reasons, actually, I want to talk a little bit about the new EP, which is, you know, the first thing you guys have done original music in six years. It came out on October 16th on Fat Records. I was very interested because, you know, as someone that's listened to the band for quite a long time, there was some different stuff on there. There's like some R&B influence and some like 50s doo-wop type stuff. Like, where did that all come from? And was that a conscious effort to to maybe expand the sound of the band a little bit? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, House on Fire is like... Uh, a couple of the songs we had had... Um, well, no, I guess... I guess one in particular, the second song, um, Waiting for the Real Thing, that that was like a, an outtake from Dirty Rice, but we were never happy with uh, the chorus. Um, and so Todd and Graham and I started messing around with it a couple years ago and then came up with a whole new chorus with the real thing. It was like a real collaborative effort. Um, and so that, that was kind of came out of there. And then uh, three of the songs are just super personal, like kind of divorce songs that I'd had for a while um, before the reggae album. And, and Mike, Fat Mike, was insistent that we do the covers album first and then start putting original music out. And we're like, okay, that's fine. And um, so it's kind of cathartic to get some of these songs out that were very personal to me at the time um, and finally get them out there because it's like, I don't, you know, you can't go back and feel that same way that you did four years ago. Yeah. But it's nice to have the, the art to remember it by you know that, that time in my life and so yeah it was the guys um were just like yeah let's get the songs out and uh we originally were going to do a group of eps and i think we're going to follow up with another one um pretty soon here we've got a lot of music going so well you you, you talked about fat mike and i know he's probably been pretty involved with you guys you know since you're on fat records what is his involvement with the band like you said that he wanted to put out the EP, which we'll talk about later on before, or you wanted to put out the EP, the EP after the, the reggae thing you guys did the covers album. What, what is your involvement with him? Do you talk to him a lot? Are you a part of all the parties at his house and everything? <laughs> no, I, I mean, Mike's a good friend of mine. Um, yeah. And a, a mentor, you know, um, but no, I don't, I don't socialize down in the LA scene. <laughs> But as far as he's been heavily involved in the production of Mad Caddy since, you know, since the inception um, or since our second record, he's always, you know, been there on the production end and had, had his two cents. And he worked, we worked really closely, him and Sasha, our guitar player, and Mike um, worked closely together, all producing um, uh, the Reggae Covers album. And, you know, because it was his idea, he'd wanted to do it for years, he'd been bugging us, and then 
wanted to do it and just never had the time. And finally, like the stars aligned, we're like, okay, now's the time. Let's do it. And it was a lot of fun. It was it was hard work, but it was I'm really happy with the product. And it was it was cool working with Mike. And you know, we had our disagreements and stuff, but in the end, I think everybody got what they wanted. So it was good. What was the process like for choosing the songs? Because some of the songs you know, like the misfit stuff, you know, it, it, I would, I would expect that, but then you've got like a green day song and even like a bracket song on there. Like who did you guys all come together and kind of vote on the songs you wanted to do? Yeah, that was, that was the most tumultuous process or part of the whole process, excuse me, uh, was picking the songs. Cause you know, we, I mean, we started with a list of a hundred songs or something and then having to get whittled down. And then, yeah, there was the big battle between fat Mike and I about, him not wanting me to put the Green Day song on because I wanted to put She on because that was like my high school song. And uh, he's like, no. And then and I'm like, well, your Descendants song pick sucks. I hate that fucking song. <laughs> like they have so many good melodic songs and you picked like the weirdest. Like he's like, yeah, but that's my high school song. I go, OK, then fine. Fucking touche. You get that one and I get that one. He's like, fine. OK. And so we're and and it's like and then she turned out to be the, the the most popular one with fans. I'm like, if you're doing a covers album, pick songs people know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It helps, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was in a band uh, after they toured with you guys, but I was in the Ataris for a while. And oh, okay. one of the claims to fame for the Ataris, you know, is doing that Don Henley song, Boys of Summer. And I think if you pick a song that people know and maybe already had some some strength out there it's you can make it your own but it's almost like yeah of course people love this song they they should love it again right right if you put your own if you put your own twist on it it's like a good song can be covered you know dozens of times look at the country world it's like yeah tennessee whiskey how many times that song been done like 30 you know so you know were there any songs that you were bummed that didn't make it that maybe you wanted to have on the record because you guys had so many to choose from yeah, like a good descendant song. <laughs> like a good descendant. What what are some of your favorites? Do you have any favorite descendant songs you could tell me? Well, I mean, just like any anything. It does, I mean, they have so many melodic, really catchy, puffy songs, and, and Mike picked one that was not very melodic. <laughs> what was uh, the process when you guys? Because you guys did a no effect song on there too. Was that uh, did Mike okay that, or was he kind of in the process of trying to pick that as well? Well, he he set the rules. Um, for picking the no effect song that it couldn't be any of the big hits. And that one was also a teenage favorite of mine, the song we chose. Uh, and he was like, good idea, good idea. So he was really stoked on that one. And that song was actually really hard for us to learn and perform because there are a lot of chords in that. And like to make it like a cool reggae song, that was a challenging one, but I think it turned out pretty cool. I like it. I played in a reggae band for a while, actually, our singer. It was more of like a cover band down on the beach when I lived down in Alabama. But our, our singer, Gary, was from Jamaica and everything, so I felt like it had a little bit of street cred. But I'd never really learned reggae covers before. And as a guitar player, it never made a lot of sense to me that there's so many minor chords. I mean, I know you, I, I know you play guitar, but like I remember there was a Bob Marley song that we did that had literally five minor chords in it. Oh, yeah. It's all about the minor, for sure. <laughs> Gives it the mystic quality. The mystic quality. So growing up, you know, what were some of your influences? Like, you guys have been around a lot longer than any of the other kind of ska, reggae-influenced punk bands. Like, were you listening to a lot of that growing up, or were you into different stuff? 
Yeah, well, I mean, that was like coming of age, you know. My childhood was my parents loved music. They didn't play, but they both sang. And we grew up on classic rock, like, you know, Stones and Beatles and Neil Young, Grateful Dead and all that. And then, you know, got into Nirvana, Metallica, all that in junior high. And then, yeah, high school, you discover No Effects and Sublime and Fishbone and Mighty Mighty Boston's and and we were really fortunate to have Santa Barbara only 30 minutes away, the city. And it's a, it always had a really, really good music scene. Like all the, the big um, 60s and 70s bands would play there. You know, Hendrix played there and the Dead played and the Stones played because it was a stop between LA and San Francisco. You could hit midweek, you know. And so when we were kids, we had a venue called the Underground where we eventually, the Mad County, started playing for the first time and opening for national acts. And every month we would get, you know, touring acts coming through there, you know, Skank and Pickle, Let's Go Bowling. I saw No Doubt twice there before, wow. just a girl, you know, 200 people there with Gwen Stefani's working the merch booth, giving you hugs, selling your t-shirt, you know. <laughs> and so we were so fortunate to get exposed to all this international music, even. I mean, we saw The Selector and Specials and, you know, all this before I was even 17. So that was a lot of inspiration there to get the Mad Caddies going. And I would go to those shows and and see some of the bands would be like, well, we're, we're as good as these guys. We could do this. We could get a van and play shows. People like us. You know? <laughs> so that's where it all started. Did you did you start out? I actually, I, I, this is a listener question. I always have listener questions. But uh, let me see where this is at. I actually don't have his name written down. But, uh, oh, here it is. John from Australia. He said, did you always play guitar or did you start playing guitar more to kind of fill a gap and, and like a lineup change? Or were you always a guitarist? Um, I've always been a guitarist, yeah, and, and one of the main principal songwriters in the band. Um, but uh, in the first part of the band's career, I felt I, I felt it was more important to be the showman and stuff. And we started out with two guitar players, and then Carter left in two thousand one, and then we just had Sasha, just Sasha, and then in I think around two thousand four or five, it's been about fifteen years ago that I started playing rhythm guitar on stage in the band. On most of the songs, um, I still don't play on some of the older Dixieland fast stuff. There's just no need for it. Yeah. And it's kind of more fun to just grab the mic and run around. But it, it's much more comfortable for me. I, I sing better when I play guitar. And, I, and I've become a much better guitar player over the years. So it's, um, it's just, yeah, it's more natural for me. Now, you were talking about being one of the principal songwriters in the band. What is your process like? And I know that's kind of a loaded question, but like, do you bring full songs to the guys? Do you bring just ideas like a progression? How does that go? No, I'm the, I'm the, I bring the full song to the table guy. And then I'm open to, you know, oh, check out this bass line or check out this cool lick, you know, but I generally bring the songs pretty, you know, the structure is there. Maybe, maybe we're missing a bridge or something. Um, but yeah. And then Sasha has been the opposite. My songwriting partner in the band for all the years. Um, He's like, check out this cool melody and riff because he's not much of a lyric guy, you know, but he's like, check out this cool melody in this part. And then we, we like collaborate well together in that, in that way. Are, are you someone that, uh, when you bring in a full song, you have lyrics already, or do you write the music and then the lyrics follow? Like you, maybe you have melody, like la la laws, like James Hetfield does. Like, how do you do the lyrics? Yeah. You know, that's, that's like different with every song. Some, you know, in the past I've, I'll be like, okay, cool. Here's, here's the, the song and the melodies, but I'm still singing kind of gibberish or whatever, but that's generally when it's just, just an idea. That's like the beginning phase. But if I present like in the last 10 years, it's like, Matt, if I present a song, it's usually pretty much there. It's like, do you guys like it or not? So <laughs> is there a democratic process if they don't like it? 
Uh, I mean, you know right away if you send someone a song. We all send songs just like through voice memos on our iPhones, just demo ideas. So if you don't hear anything back in 24 hours, you're like, I guess nobody liked that one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, with the punk rock steady, the, 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 the covers album that you guys did that we were just talking about, did you hear any feedback from any of the artists that you guys covered other than like Fat Mike? Uh, yeah, not like any of the big art. Oh, I mean, it was cool that the guys in Bad Religion liked our cover. So that was yeah. cool. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Um, Glenn Danzig threatened to sue us. Oh, really? For, yeah, because he claimed it wasn't a cover, that it was plagiarism because we changed the song too much. <laughs> I'm like, you fucking moron. Like, you're getting mailbox money for doing nothing. Like, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, man. But I, there, nothing came of that. When uh, I, my my old bands used to cover Misfits all the time when I was in the Ataris, we actually did a Misfits set at a big festival out in New Jersey. But what I realized when I was young, I thought I knew how to play all those songs. And when you actually try to learn those songs, I don't think they had tuners in the studio when they when they were writing those songs. Oh, seriously? Yeah, they're like a half step out. Yeah, like what key are they in? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to figure it out sometimes. But um. What about that bracket song? Whose idea was it to do that? Because that was like my favorite bracket song. That was my introduction to them because it was all. Yeah, on... I love that song too. I, I forget. I think I think it was Fat Mike. It was either Mike or Sasha. Yeah, it's been a couple of years since we did the record. So Some but... some songs kind of lend, lend themselves a little bit better to doing those reggae type versions. I mean, were there yeah. anything you guys couldn't do that maybe you wanted to do? I, I mean, we, I remember sitting there for like a week in the studio, just trying out a bunch of different tunes, you know, trying to fill the the album out. And so, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, I think the Rolling Stones said it. They're like, they, when they work on a song, they try it all four ways. They try it reggae, they try it country, they try it rock, and they try it R&B. And they go, any song, good song, should be able to be played in all four of those formats. Yeah. If it has a good, strong melody, you know. And a memorable riff. So, I mean, I think you can pretty much make a reggae song out of almost any song. We used to do a cover of Crazy Train on stage, <laughs> reggae, like dub reggae, and the horns would play the, the guitar riff, and it was fun. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, it's a pretty it's, that, that song's actually really pretty with three part reggae harmonies on the chorus. You know, it's an it's an F sharp, which is a great great yeah, key. Going <laughs> off the rails on a crazy train, check it. <laughs> did, did you always know that you could sing because i mean you've got a great voice it fits really well with what you guys are doing was a lot oh, of people you. a lot of people start playing guitar and then they kind of are forced to sing because maybe no one else in the band wants to sing what was your introductory into knowing that you had a pretty good voice yeah i was always the singer um i was always singing as a kid um I guess I grew up in a musical household. My parents didn't play instruments, but we were always listening to music, like actively, like playing records and stuff, and always music on the long car trips. And we traveled a lot and stuff, family vacations, and singing the Beatles and, you know, Queen and all that. And so I really tried. I mean, I would try to sing all of Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, <laughs> acapella on car trips. And like, to the, uh, you know, <laughs> sometimes not the warmest feelings of my family. Like, okay, we already heard it. I'm like 10 years old. <laughs> and then, yeah, my first singing gig I tried to get was in like the second or third grade Christmas recital. And I, I didn't get the lead part. And I was bombed. And the kid who did it sucked. And I'm like, fuck. So it just pushed me even harder, you know. <laughs> and then, yeah, it started. I started playing guitar and 
trying to like learn Metallica and Guns N' Roses songs in like sixth grade. I don't know. I was 10 or 11. And then, and then freshman year, let's see. No, it was my, it was summer going into my sophomore year in high school. My buddy had a band called, uh, what were they called? Rubber band. <laughs> <laughs> and they played kind of grungy, just real, just like drop D, just kind of butt rock. Yeah. You know, that like 16 year olds were writing, you know? And um, they had, my buddy was the singer, but he had a lisp. He had a good sing, singing voice, but he had this terrible lisp. And so they hired me. They kicked him out and hired me. And we, we changed the name from uh, Rubber Band to Troll, Total Rebellion of Life's Limits. <laughs> awesome, man. And uh, yeah, we, we rocked out the, you know my front yard, I think the coffee shop once or twice. And I think we won like a talent thing at the high, at the high school, like talent show. <laughs> <laughs> and then shortly after, I met Sasha and we started the Ivy League, which turned into the Mac Caddies. So and I you get you had the name change from the Ivy League. I was reading uh, when I was looking at stuff about your band. When you guys signed to Honest Dawns, you decided to change the name of the band to the Mad Caddies. Can you kind of take me through that process of how you came to their attention? Because I know I know a lot of bands that kind of it was almost like a farm team. You signed Honest Dawns, and then after that, you kind of graduate to Fat. Is that kind of how it was for you guys? Yeah. Well, we. We had to change the name because there was some other band called the Ivy League somewhere that never did anything. I thought that was a better name than Mad Caddies, to be honest, but it's 25 years ago. It doesn't matter now. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so we got signed. We did the did a two-record deal with Mike. And then, um, yeah, he discovered us because of Lagwagon. We recorded our first album, Quality Softcore, in Santa Barbara. We all borrowed money from our parents and spent a few grand. And, and we thought that was just going to be a demo. And it turned out to just be the record, her first album. And Mike literally called us like three days after it was finished. Joey Cape and Lagwagon walked in the studio and heard it. And he goes, oh, Fat Mike wants to sign a ska band. These kids sound good. And so he sent him up the tapes. And yeah, he called us like three days later. And called Sasha and on his parents' home, lo- home line. Hey, it's Fat Mike. And Sasha thought it was me fucking with him. He's like, shut up, Chuck. Keep on. <laughs> Like, no, it's Mike calling from San Francisco. No effects. And he's like, oh shit, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he came he came down a few days later to Santa Barbara and he signed us. And we we're like, fucking A. The rest was history. Bought us a van, bought us some new amps and drums and stuff. Yeah, I was the singer. I, I should have at least bought myself a really nice guitar out of that deal. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> Everybody else got stuff. But at the end, I was like, when the band van was finally done after like four or five years, I'm like, guys, you guys all got a ton of equipment. I got nothing, so I'm taking the van. I drove the van for like five years. Everybody was cool with it. <laughs> that, that seems like a pretty normal story that I hear on this podcast when I talk to singers. It's like, yeah, we got signed and we got this advance and everybody got like four guitars and I got a microphone. <laughs> yeah, I got two SM58s. I'm like, fucking what? <laughs> you should have at least got an S7 like I'm using right here, right? <laughs> right, or I should have got a stand, like my own stand or something. You know? Those things always suck at venues. They never work. So when you guys got signed, I mean... You're a NoFX fan. You guys were kind of stoked that Fat Mike got a hold of you. Did you automatically think, hey, this is it. This is my career for the next 25 years. Like, what were your thoughts back in the day when it first happened? Oh, yeah. No, I'm like, we made it. We, we hit the big time. And then it took like, let's see, we got signed in 96. And then it took like four or five more years where I could really say I was making a living from the band. Yeah. <laughs> It was a struggle, man. We all had to work side hustles, and we just toured and toured and toured. And and it was just better to stay on the road because then you didn't have to spend money, or at least you know being fed and 
giving beers and stuff. <laughs> that's how that's how I felt, man. Like when I was younger, I don't know. I I always just Fat Records and Epitaph and these labels just seemed so huge. So I'd think, oh, if you sign to Fat, you're living in a mansion. <laughs> but I've oh yeah, no. people thought we were like rich. It's like, uh, no, I made sixteen thousand dollars last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how were some of those first tours? I mean, had you guys played much outside of your home area? Um, yeah, no, <laughs> we had just, we'd only played, you know, some, a few gigs in Orange County and Santa Barbara and San Luis. So we, we did what my buddy told me to do. It was in like a really famous Christian rock band, like Christian metal, heavy rock band from San Jose at the time. And I went to summer camp with him and we were working there together as counselors. And he, he gave me the advice. I'm like, well, how do you get your band going? He's like, well, first you have to develop a local fan base within like, 30 miles and if you can't get your friends to come see you then you might as well just quit <laughs> and i'm like okay yeah yeah okay he's like and then you start playing out of your county start driving up you know 90 miles or 100 miles and see if you can start getting people there then if you can get people out of town then you know you've got something <laughs> then you you know try to get signed to a label and go on tour we pretty much follow that part and parcel you know like okay here we go so I have a listener question, and uh, it's actually my buddies and your fellow friends from the band Longfellow. I'm sure you remember oh, those guys. <laughs> yeah. They said, uh, do you have any memories from the Mad Caddies, Atari's Longfellow tour that you can share with us? I mean, I don't have any specific memories. It was too, it was too long ago. long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I remember. It was fun. I mean, shit, that was, that was in like, what, 98 or 99? I mean, that was, a, that was over 20 years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I remember I saw those guys like start an Instagram page or something recently. <laughs> like, dudes, what's up? Yeah, I remember you guys. Corona Theater, man. Corona Theater, I remember, yeah. I remember I remember Mad Caddy's opening for Longfellow at the Corona Theater, like in like ninety seven or something. <laughs> that's that's a good memory, man. <laughs> that's that's my memory right there. Yeah, because I remember that night. I was like, Corona, never been here. Hmm. Do you have any places that uh you really enjoy touring outside of the United States? Like, like I was going to ask you about the tour of South Africa because we went there as well with the Ataris and that was like kind of a life changing place to go. Do you have places like that, that you remember that you can't wait to get back to? Yeah. South, South uh, Africa was incredible. And we, we went to South America a few times. We've been to Venezuela and, um, and, uh, my, my, <laughs> <laughs> Venezuela and Colombia and Ecuador and Brazil and we played Mexico and yeah I want to I really want to play Mexico we've only played Mexico City and my mom travels down there runs like art tours every year down in Oaxaca and we used to go to the family like every year as a kid for a couple weeks we'd be renting a car and just driving around Mexico and um, I ska is massive down there right now it's I mean it never once it got big in the 90, late 90s down there, and it never went away. It's mainstream. Like, you're sitting at bars, and you're watching, like, mainstream Mexican ska bands and reggae bands on TV, like, all day. And we played a festival down there a few years back, um, a ska reggae festival at the Sports Center, and there was 12,000 people there. Wow. And we, we were headlining the second stage, and there was 3,000 people watching us, and we never played there. And it was incredible. And that same day, there was a metal fest with like 90,000 people. Marilyn Manson was playing, and you still got 12,000 kids at the, the Scott Reagan show. And it really opened my eyes about how big this type of music is in Latin America. I mean, it's just massive. And so I, I cannot wait to get, when this is over, to go. We were, we were supposed to play like eight shows in Mexico this year. <laughs> it's, like, 
really looking forward to it because I love the culture and they just love music and it's just so fun to play. Before my son was born, I actually, I took a consulting job for an entertainment company in Jamaica and my wife and I moved down to Montego Bay and I was so excited because I love reggae and I just thought right. that I would just be bombarded with reggae and that wasn't the case, man. Like, have you guys ever thought about, I mean, I don't know if you could play there or not, but I know some bands go to Jamaica. Yeah, no, it's, it's, yeah, no, it's such a California thing to say. Yeah, no, um, Jamaica, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not like a place you would go to play. Our guitar player, Sasha, lived down there for a few months on and off over the years, producing some uh, Jamaican artists, doing beats and production for them. And yeah, there's there's not a scene to, to go play a show there, really, for an American band. Yeah, no, like, yeah. like I, I got off the plane and I just thought that it would be everywhere. And like I heard a lot of reggaeton and I heard a lot of rap and stuff. But Yeah, that's where you're going to hear reggaeton and rap. Yeah, that's the Caribbean. I would even I would even ask guys that I worked with because it was I'll I'll just say it was Margaritaville. I was I was fixing their entertainment department on the island, and I was like, "Where do you go listen to reggae?" And they're like, "Oh, there's nowhere to listen to reggae." <laughs> right. I'm yeah. walking inside to get get another drink. Uh, that's I like your mask, man. <laughs> I got my favorite Syrian Austin running the store. These guys, these Syrians, they're so funny, man. Fucking <laughs> characters. Are you close to a beach or anything, or are you just where are you at right now? Yeah, no, I'm in my hometown. I'm 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 at the store. Um, the beach is like 20 minutes away. So. Okay, cool. Okay, so I've got a couple other listener questions. If you wouldn't mind me asking you that, would that be okay? Yeah, sure. Okay, so let me see. Vili from Finland says, "Is there any chance that you guys will repress Keep It Going on vinyl? It's the only one I don't have." Yes, we were. We want to make sure that every couple of years we do small repressings of the vinyl because I think it's really cool and uh, sounds the best. And it's nice. It's nice for fans that that really want to have a physical product. Like I don't think we're gonna. I mean, we're not making CDs anymore. So it's vinyl and digital. And shout out to Finland. My uh, my mom's sister is married to a Finnish man, and uh, he's actually uh, my uncle Paul. He's honorary doctorate from the university of finlandia in the midwest and then they the country of finland knighted him so he's wow. and then he's a lawyer he's a lawyer in town so his name his official title is uh sir dr paul Holmey esquire <laughs> that's awesome but the, finland just finland's a rad country and i it was cool to get to grow up with that we my mom's sister married into that culture and we've always been around it as kids and so like i had a, a uki and a mumu and it's grandma and grandpa and finnish and yeah, really cool. And so my my uncle's been spreading um, Finnish culture um, through philanthropy through the U.S. to keep Finnish culture alive here. And so it's done a lot for the culture. So they gave him some they gave him some special awards. When I was in Finland, man, I just loved the food. So shout out to to Ville and everybody in Finland. Uh, Chuck oh, and yeah, I, Chuck and I both out. love your country, man. Big time. Did you guys find that touring like those kind of kind of outter places in Europe. I won't say it's like a weird place or anything. It's a great country, but you know, everybody Just goes your normal tour stuff. Yeah. Everybody goes to France. Everybody goes to Italy. Like Germany, what, what were sure. some of the hot spots for you guys in Europe? Like is ska and reggae still a kind of a big thing over there. I know punk rock is. Yeah, no, it, it never went. Yeah, no, there we go again. So California, um, it, it, we started going to Europe in 99 because ska died here. 
basically new metal took over in 99 and you could not sell a ticket to a ska show to save your life unless you were like less than jake or really fish and they were still kind of barely hanging on for a couple of years but they made it through it but we just said fuck it because we weren't big enough yet and so we went to europe and it just kind of re-blown up there and then it never really went away and you know it's bigger you know but but we've always been in it's interesting in europe and in canada and everywhere else in the world the mad caddies were always embraced as a fat records punk and ska band but in the states we were kind of rejected by about half of the fat crowd because like we weren't punk enough or whatever yeah for some reason and so yeah it was nice for us to go over there and, and feel loved early on in our career after only being you know trying it for a few years here and having it be kind of hit and miss and and over there it just was like boom and within a couple of years we were a headliner over there and selling out thousand seat halls and it was like okay i guess we go to europe to make our money to live <laughs> okay that's fine with me i love it over there do you guys ever kind of feel like the black sheep i had jason hall from uh western addiction on and he talked about how sometimes they feel out of place on fat especially with maybe some of the new class like bomb pops and and bottle rocket and you know stuff like that have you guys felt like that maybe because you said that some of the people back in the day didn't accept you as a fat band there at first yeah including a lot of people at the label really (laughs) oh yeah no they did you know mike took some heat from some of the 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 purest punkers there for for signing us you know and that's just kind of how people were back then. I think they were a lot more closed-minded as far as the scene and all that, you know. It's like, and I, I never really paid too much attention to that, to the politics of all that. I, I was just a kid, just stoked to be out there making music with my friends. <laughs> I like, you know, the, the true punk rock ethos is "fuck you." I don't care. <laughs> I do what I want, and because it's fun, and it makes other people happy. And if you don't like it, fuck off. Mind your own, mind your own, mind your own business. <laughs> Were there any tours that you guys did with maybe like a support tour with a band that didn't maybe look good on paper that actually turned out fairly well? Like I know you guys have played with like Bad Religion and bands like that. Like, are their fans fairly open to you guys? Yeah, well, like that's so funny. Like, okay, say twenty years ago, if Mad Caddy's opened for Bad Religion, I don't know. We opened for No Effects a bunch in the early days, and you know what? Everybody was cool, you know. Now, maybe if we were opening for like a hardcore band, but I don't know. We opened for Good Riddance. And, you know, we went on tours with Ice for a Name and Lagwagon and Strung Out and everybody. And, and uh, we we didn't have any backlash, you know. Maybe they they didn't become huge fans, but everybody always, you know, was cool when we played. It never felt like we were like, you know, weren't supposed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a couple more things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I'm, I'm interested. Uh, I had jacob noel on the show a while back from the band law you know it's bradley noel from sublime sun and i know that you guys are on this new compilation the house that bradley built it's the noel family foundation how did you guys get hooked up with that because i mean you guys fit perfectly on the record too oh thank you yeah that that is all because of our family um and dear friends in the band pepper and uh <laughs> shout out to pepper Leo, brett you we love you um, we met Pepper in 2003 on Warp Tour, and they were playing the Volcom stage, and we did uh, some shows on that stage as well. We were splitting like half the time main stage, half the time Volcom stage or whatever, and they're in a shitty little fucking RV or van, I can't remember, but 
we just became really good friends and became family and like within a couple of weeks and like the tour is two months long, you know? Yeah. I'm like, bros, we have the cold, we have one of the oldest buses on the tour, but Barney, the purple Eagle, but it's got the coldest AC on the whole fucking out of all these buses. <laughs> the best air conditioner was ice cold on our bus every day. And it only broke once in the wow. whole two months. And so we would invite pepper on every night. Like, yeah, dude, just a couple of you guys, we got two extra bucks. Just sleep on our bus, man. Like, get cool, stay comfortable. We all got to live. We're family. You know, you're welcome. And so Pepper and the Mad Caddies had this big connection. And in 2007, we uh, opened for them for almost two months on their big um, album release tour, No Shame, back in 07, across the whole states, trying to get into those college reggae markets where people hadn't heard of the Mad Caddies, you know? And then in exchange, they got to come open up for us for a month in Europe they'd never been and it was a really good trade and it worked out really well for both bands they developed a following over there and then we watched our numbers go up like significantly from doing that tour and get a bunch of those fans that we wanted the the college stone we call them college stoner fans you know (laughs) the ones that fill up amphitheaters at red rocks you know (laughs) well i always wondered that because you guys I mean, I've listened to you because I was a Fat Records fan, and I, anything they put out, I checked it out, and, and I loved reggae, I loved ska, but there is that kind of counterculture of, like, Soja and and right. Slightly, Slightly Stupid, stupid. And, and all those and bands. Revolution and Stick Figure, all these baby bands. We call them Fisher-Price, my first reggae bands, you know? Yeah, and the thing that always blew me away was, like, you guys didn't ever seem to be in that scene, and I thought you guys could be perfect in that scene. Yeah, it's, you know, we've been trying to break into it slowly and, you know, those bands always promise us opening tours and all that and then it never comes and it's like, hmm, all right. But it's interesting, we had just reconnected with Pepper. Our only show that we played this year was February 22nd in Florida. We headlined like a Scott Reggae Festival out there in Orlando. And the night we flew in, Pepper was playing. They're on tour. So we show up, surprise them on stage hang out all night and the the we decided that okay we're redoing 2007 next year it was supposed to be 2021 was going to be uh pepper's mad caddy world tour they opened for us in europe we opened them for the states we, we recreate what we did 13 years ago and we were so pumped and like COVID hit. <laughs> next time huh <laughs> but they were they were the ones that got you guys hooked up with the the noel family foundation though so to finish that story, yeah. So you saw the drummer, um, he had like him and the Noel family, um, this was their baby. And so he was heavy handed. They, Law Records is uh, Pepper's label. And so they asked us early on if we wanted to do it. We're like, fuck yeah. And they're like, do you mind if we pick the song? I'm like, please pick the song because I, you know, and how many people are going to fight over Bad Fish or Day yeah. Raper all year? It's like, no, 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 I want, like, pick us an obscure one. And so, yeah. We got that one, and I'm like, oh, wait, careful what you ask for. There's literally two printed pages of lyrics. <laughs> like, you think you know the lyrics to that song? Because you sing it a million times. No, no, you make up half of them in your head. You're like, what, what was the song? Because I, I didn't actually look at the track listing. Uh, it's, I heard that payback's a motherfucking bitch. I won't strip and I won't sing. <laughs> yeah. But I would not lie to you. Glory, please, my God. <laughs> George Michael, it was so fun. Dude, uh, with Sublime, like, I have a shitty Sublime tattoo I got when I was, like, 17 years old. <laughs> like, I, I just love that band so much. Were they kind of big in what you guys listened to back in the day? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, the 
40 ounce was like the soundtrack around here for a couple, three, four years. I mean, not longer. I, that's that album really helped me learn to, to develop my own voice, you know, because I had the same range as him, so I could sing along and everything, and it just kind of helped me. And then you don't want to sound like him, so then you develop your own style. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool, man. Well, hey, man, I've had a great time talking with you today. I, I urge everyone to check out House on Fire. It's out on Fat Records. It came out last month. It's on all the streaming sites, and I'm sure you could probably get vinyl and stuff over at fatrec.com. But uh, I know that right now is kind of a weird time. I ask this question a lot, and sometimes people don't have answers, but you just released a new EP. What's in the future for you guys? Do you have anything on the books right now? Yeah, well, if we don't get shut down by the COVID police here, um, we're planning a, a live or a pay-per-view stream. We're going to pre-record it, so it's professional because I, I, watching these zoom streams, it's really frustrating, you know, or whatever you call it. Um, so we're going to, we're bringing in a film production company um, in the next couple weeks and we'll make an announcement soon, but we're going to have a full live show that we're going to do in, in the, the yard of the studio here at the family compound. I just have a couple friends over, but it's really sketchy right now. They're locking everything back down because of COVID. They shut, we'd been playing live music over at my buddy's yard for the last few months. And they just did a thing on the news about the, shut it down yeah he was like nope even though everybody's outside sitting six feet apart wearing masks you know 30 feet from the musicians it didn't matter they so we're hoping to pull that off and uh yeah so that's next and then yeah i gotta plug this i've been working on a solo album for the last um six seven months and just finished tracking it's in the mixing phases right now and we're gonna i'm gonna release a song here um before christmas and then the album will be out um, hopefully late january and it's like seven tracks of totally different it's my personal kind of it, it, i don't yeah i hesitate to use the word folk it's not folk it's just it's my music it's kind of yeah. americana rock with a little country feel there's some slide guitar and stuff but yeah cool well this this probably won't be out for a couple of weeks maybe i can uh maybe i can play it on the show or something man when you release it yeah man that'd be cool so you know what all the people out there i i so many of my friends that listen to fat records bands they said, I never really gave the caddies a chance, but I'm, I'm urging everybody out there to give the caddies a chance because that was the thing with feeling like the black sheep. I mean, yeah, you guys, like I said, that that whole group of bands that I thought you guys would fit with, it, it's kind of weird when you end up on fact. Are you guys allowed to do stuff with other labels? Is it like that handshake deal? Like, can you do anything you want or do you have to do it through fat? Oh, yeah, we, we can. We haven't had a contract since Duck and Cover. We only signed a two record deal. It's been a handshake deal for 20 years. Yeah, there's we can do whatever we want. Well, that, that's yeah. a nice freedom to have, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I tell you what, man, do you have any uh, timeline on that solo record? Do you know like when it would be dropping or anything? Well, the idea is hopefully to drop it by my birthday, which is January nineteenth. Um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been an adventure. It's taken a while to record it because my engineer, um, good friend I grew up with here, Gray Bear, and he's super talented guitar player and engineer. And uh, he's got a three month old baby and a full time custom cabinet shop to run during the week, so he can only give us Saturdays. So, <laughs> but it, in hindsight, it's been really nice because tracking it that slowly and then just getting the basic tracks done and then coming back and starting to do the guitar overdubs and vocals and the organs and pianos and stuff. Getting something to listen to and digest all week and listen to in the evenings, you know, and then be like, okay, I want to work on this harmony. I I got a better idea for this lick. It's been a really fun, cathartic process. And I'm kind of sad that the tracking's over. (laughs) 
like, wow, now I need to, I guess, start a new record. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows what's going to happen with COVID. You might have a time to do two or three more records, man. I know. That's the thing. And I'm like, I've got plenty more songs to keep pulling from the well. I've got, you know, a hundred ideas sitting on the iPhone from the last three years. So I just keep pulling from them. I'm like, oh, that's a fun one. I'm going to start working on that one again. And it's, so, yeah, finishing, it's it's, it's kind of cool. And uh, But it also, it's been interesting. I tell my friends, it's, I started doing um, heavy equipment work again last week, driving tractors for my buddy. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I need to go to a job where they pay me instead of where I go to a job and pay them. Because <laughs> I've been paying to make this. I've been paying to work for the last six months. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm hoping to have a return on my, my investment, but I'm like, this is not working. I'm like, I got to go work and make money. <laughs> was there ever a thought? I've, I've, I ask everybody this, that's releasing stuff during the pandemic. Was there ever a thought of maybe not releasing the EP due to not being able to like really go out and tour or were you guys just like, no, we got it done. Let's put it out. Yeah. No, I mean that we were like, yeah, we have to put new music out. I mean, people are going crazy. The only thing I've been so excited to get all this new music in the last couple of weeks, bands have been dropping records. Shit. Chris Stapleton just dropped a new record yesterday. First song is so good. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Drive by truckers just put out a new record and the bands are just kind of like, well, we had plans and everything. So we might as well just put off the record. Yeah. I'm like, yes, please. Thank you. <laughs> And then we'll all know the songs by next summer when you guys can play them again. Yeah, totally, man. Well, I tell you what, man, I've had a blast. What are the socials or any way that people can follow you and or the band on uh, on the social media platforms? Yeah, it's uh, Mad Caddy's official on Instagram, Facebook, and you can follow me, Chuck Robertson Papa, um, on Instagram. And uh, yeah, we're all there. And you guys are on all this, the streaming sites, and you I think it's, uh, what, madcaddies.com as well? Yeah, madcaddies.com. I don't know what's going on with that. I mean, the easiest way to find out is our Facebook and Instagram. But yeah, we've got our YouTube channel up and you can listen. And we're on Spotify and Apple Music. Yeah, fucking don't listen to Spotify. I've had so many of my friends switch over I mean, to Apple Music or the other ones because Apple actually pays the bands and Spotify doesn't. It's really I think Spotify just said something the other day too. Like they, they're going to pay you less, but they will promote you with their algorithm to get you more streams. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm like, go fuck yourself. Write a song, you fucking cocksucker. God, I, that guy's never written a song, and he's a billionaire. Yeah. He stole all our music. I, my Spotify, I mean, TMI, I don't even care. I'll put it out there. It's like, we got streamed like 15 million times by 1.5 unique listeners last year on Spotify worldwide, and my check was 300 bucks. Go fuck yourself. It's insane. That's insane. That's theft. Like, I want to sue him. Dude, I, I have a friend, and I, I won't say the band because I don't know if he wants his information out there, but I have a friend in a band that last year had 480 million streams. There's four guys in the band, and each guy got a $1,500 check. Yeah, that's, I mean, that is robbery. Um, you know who, what's his name? Uh, ooh, baby, I love your ways. Peter Frampton. Yeah. He took it to Congress last year. And said, ooh, baby, I love your ways got streamed 500 million times. And I got paid, I think he got paid like $12,000. Yeah. And they're like, say that again? And he repeated it. No, say it again. And so now we have the Music Modernization Act. You got the bipartisan bill that like that's supposed to be going through to, to make these fuckers pay us. But I mean, it's literally theft. Yeah. I mean, you're using, my, you're using our art that we created to, to make money and you're not paying the artists. That's, that's, that's illegal. I just always tell people Lars was right. Yeah, Lars was right, dude. Totally. <laughs> he got he so there. much shit back in the what? day. If you, don't, if, you don't, if you don't pay for our music, we go away. Yeah. We go to we go to driving tractors. Yeah. And tending bars. Yeah. You know, 
So. Well, man, I've had such a great time today. Please come back when the when the solo thing's done. I'd love to talk all yeah, about sure. that too, man. That'd be rad, dude. Love to come back. Thanks for having me. Well, enjoy your day. It looks like it's a lot nicer there than it is here. I'm in Indiana and it's rainy and gross outside. So enjoy your day. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I'm I will talk. Go eat, I'm going to go eat my hamburger that I was literally about to pull off the grill. It's been sitting for an hour, but it's, it's warm. Awesome, man. Well, have a great day and I'll talk to you very soon, my friend. All right. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Peace and love. So there it was, my conversation with Mr. Chuck Robertson of Mad Caddies. I would uh, very much like to thank Chuck for his time. I had a blast chatting with him, and hopefully we can get him back on the show in the future when he releases that new solo record. I was hoping it would be out before this episode so I could play some of it, but I haven't heard anything, and uh, yeah, I don't think it's out yet. (laughs) So when that comes out, we'll have Chuck back on the program. Make sure to check out the new EP from Mad Caddies, House on Fire, streaming now on all of the normal places, or you can pick up a physical copy, I would suggest some vinyl, that would be cool, over at fatrec.com. And while you're there, check out some of the other releases as well. I'll tell you, that Punk Rock Steady album where they do all the all the punk rock covers, it's awesome. Misfits and Bad Religion and No Effects and so much cool stuff. So check that out also. But guess what, guys and girls? That's it for this week. It's so great that you guys come back week after week. I appreciate the support so much and uh, on all the socials, I all the guest suggestions and everything. I get emails all the time and it's just so it's so awesome to be able to converse with everyone out there. And I want you to feel like you're a part of this show. This is your show as well. So keep all of the feedback coming. I really appreciate it. And also make sure to head, you got to head on over to the website, tototpodcast.com and get connected. Sign up for the mailing list because then you know everything you know about the contest we have coming up with Fat Records. All kinds of goodies. You got to go over there to tototpodcast.com. Remember that until midnight on Christmas Day, you can order any shirt in the merch store and you get a free sticker pack and probably some other cool free stuff as well. Sarah over at Road Dog that handles all the merch, she just takes such good care of the packages and she always puts in little goodies and stuff. So like I said, head on over to the website. All the information about everything in the TOTOT universe is at TOTOTpodcast.com. Huh, that was a, that was a mouthful. So before I jump out of here, I'm going to play some music like I always do. I'm going to start off with one of my favorite songs from the new Caddy's EP. It's called Let It Go. And then I'm going to follow it up with their cover of Green Day's She, which we talked about on the podcast where Fat Mike didn't want them to do it, but Chuck persisted and he wanted to do it and they did it and i'm glad they did because it's a masterpiece so uh, once again i'm gonna i'm gonna start off with let it go from their new ep house on fire and then i'm gonna follow it up with their cover of green day's she which is featured on their covers album punk rock steady so i love you guys and gals happy holidays i'll catch you next week when my guest will finally be Mr. Trevor Keith from Face to Face. He was supposed to be on last year, but uh, we rescheduled like a million times. 
And we finally got it done during, you know, the lockdown during the pandemic. And uh, he was on a bunch of other podcasts around the same time. So I held the episode back and I didn't want to like flood the market and compete with a bunch of my friends shows. So I held it back. But it is coming out, and I've had so many people email and ask, like, when's Trevor's episode? When's Trevor's episode? It is next week on New Year's Eve. Catch me on New Year's Eve with Trevor from Face to Face. That's it. I'm out. Happy holidays to you and yours. This is Chris. Peace. Well, it's not easy being loved by someone else. And at the same time giving it all back up yourself Caught between the color lines, native to the home Of domesticated energy And how the summer days have faded into years Through all the good times shining light in all the tears Caught up in the reality Of life and growing up So baby we should let it go Inside.
Fredrickson from Rancid. This is Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday. This is Tom from MXPX. Hey, this is Jay Bentley from Bad Religion. This is Vinny from Less Than Jake. This is Travis from Coheed and Cambria. This is Chris number two for the band Anti-Flag. Hey, this is Ricky Rocket from Poison. This is Pete Parada from The Offspring. Hey, this is Zach Blair from Rise Against. Hey, this is Eddie from the band Thrice. Hi, this is Frank Turner. Hey, this is Jim from Pennywise. Hey, this is Eric Smelly, the drummer of No Effects. Hi, this is Bill from Faith and More. Hey, this is Chris from Propagandy. Hi, this is Roy from No Easter Name. Hi, this is Ben Gillies. I'm Silverchair. This is Stefan from Descendants, and you're listening to That One Time On Tour with Chris Swinney. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, 
Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.